0: And welcome, everybody. We are delighted to welcome our guest today on our Wednesday with Kelly Victory, Dr. Spiro Pantazitos. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I've made my brief brush with the Greek language and uh, uh, (laughs) believe me, it was brief. Um, So we are of course out there on Twitter spaces where we're there. I'm just on I finally unmuted you guys, so I see you there on Twitter spaces. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be streaming on all the various platforms, and if you raise your hand want to come and ask a question, it depends how into it we get today, whether we'll have time for questions. Generally, Wednesday shows, we do not. Uh, Dr. Pantazitos is a neuroscientist at Columbia University who, uh, like many people, saw some data he's going to share with us, and he raised his hand and said, uh, should we be having a mandate of vaccines for all these young people for whom... The risk of vaccine might be worse than the risk of the illness. And there are a few other bits of data that sort of uh, rolled in on the heels of that that suggest we're not really doing much even with the vaccine such as it is in that population. Again, it's possible to have a risk-benefit, age-stratified, age-stratified vaccine policy. It's possible. We'll talk about it. Kelly Victory and Dr. Spiro Pantazitos after this. I'm, of course, watching you guys on our Restream chat and also on the Rumble Rants, and you guys were already spinning about the Pfizer representative who admitted that they had not tested the virus in terms of uh, protecting against transmission and infection, which, of course, they didn't, guys. Just use your brain for a little second. What they tested was... The probability of the the vaccine preventing infection, and the initial data was overinflated, they didn't then take those people and take them and see whom they infected. That would have been an ethical problem, and it would have taken a long time to do that. It was not something that they were set up for. They made a presumption. The presumption was if their virus is not getting through, it's going to reduce infection. But of course... There was lots of many, many flaws. That is not the only flaw in the studies they were doing. So we'll get to that and more with Dr. Pantazotos in just a second. Uh, also, I'd urge you all to go take a look at uh, John Campbell. Uh, he's been going wild lately. He clearly is very upset with the uh, with the YouTube policies. I guess he's gotten a strike or something because he's using that incredibly ironic, sardonic British humor to point out that... He's not saying any of these things. He he rolled the tape today, for instance, on the uh, Dutch EU parliament member interviewing the Pfizer rep and him, the EU parliamentarian, pointing out that this is unconscionable, this is possibly criminal, the fact that the governments based their entire vaccine passport policies on the notion that there was no transmissibility or transmissibility was affected by the vaccine, which, of course, was never proven. It turned out to be absolutely not true and uh he's right he's right and then but of course then he comes back to john campbell and and dr campbell goes well i didn't say that (laughs) of course i can't say this we're not saying that youtube policy absolutely prevents this this is not our opinion but you might want to listen to what this man (laughs) has to say really very funny so let's let's um bring our guest and he's an assistant professor of clinical neurobiology at columbia research scientist uh planned to stay locked down through the pandemic. Uh, but because uh, he, like the rest of the people, was believing what was coming out of the government, and uh, he was hoping to stay locked down until a vaccine was developed, that was in fact the policy of our government and many governments. But he says he discovered an alarming pattern of adverse events that increased in areas that administered the most doses of the vaccine. Again, he's a scientist; he's a da- data anal- does data analysis, and he co-authored a study on mRNA mRNA induced fatality rates. Uh, data that he says has been sus- suppressed by most, by mo- most major publications and journal. And I will point out to you, there was a weird phenomenon. It sounds paranoid to say that. If he had said that five years ago, I would have said paranoid. I watched it happen real time with the mask studies. There was a giant Dutch uh, Danish mask study that everyone was waiting for it to be published in New England Journal, and then suddenly no, and then no anywhere except Annals of Internal Medicine finally accepted it, and then it was sort of uh, submerged after that. It showed that masks, guess what? Surgical masks don't work. Let's bring in Dr. Pantastos. Welcome.
1: Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you for
0: having me. Did I frame that correctly? Is that pretty much your story? Uh,
1: Yes, my story, yes. Uh, Correct. Um, Yes, so um yeah basically um I co-authored a study on vaccine mortality rates using publicly available data uh back in October um and that was in response to the mandate from Columbia University uh which they announced in April of 2021 um and uh basically I can show some some of the some slides and some figures from the study to try to explain uh what it's about, what are the conclusions um uh if, if that's a good place to start, yeah, so that's the study it's on yep. research gate, so it hasn't yep. been the preprint hasn't been suppressed, but like you said um it's been diplomatically uh rejected by um many editors at medical journals that I've submitted it to um it did get mm-hmm. peer reviewed at two journals more recently uh but then it was also um rejected after the peer review for reasons which I would say are not substantive. so in that sense it has been uh, suppressed um, but the preprint has has gotten over 500,000 views um, in the comments section it sort of serves as an open pre-publication peer review so I try to address uh, you know lots of critical comments uh, which are good uh, means it's it's people are thinking about it and um, they want to chime in and and um critiques is there a
0: general theme to the critiques is there uh-huh. is there something in specific so, they're zeroing in on that you think has, has substance uh
1: the most substantive critique is that uh some people claim that it's subject to this something called the ecological fallacy so the approach that this uses um it can it's basically called ecological regression so what what it's doing is basically taking publicly available CDC data, where they publish the number of vaccine doses that are administered in each state for each every day. Then they also publish the total number of deaths, total deaths, as well as the total number of COVID deaths and non-COVID deaths. So you can actually disentangle uh, all-cause mortality from COVID mortality versus non-COVID mortality using these publicly available spreadsheets that anybody can go to CDC uh, website and download download these spreadsheet themselves, and, and they can replicate the analysis they'd like, like to. Uh, the the ecological fallacy doesn't apply in this case because we're actually taking uh, total counts of vaccines and relating them, correlating them with the total number of deaths across states. Um, and the term ecological fallacy normally applies when you're taking um, an incidence rate or some type of aggregate average measure mm. across states and then mm-hmm. applying regression Got it. to that. So, yeah. so, so that that so was the closest. Speak- that, yeah, go ahead.
0: So, my question is Are the causes of death coming up uh, in any particular silo? In other words, uh, one of the things I was talking to Alex Berenson about his observations about all cause mortality being up since the end of the pandemic, or sort of we can argue about whether that's a factual statement or not, but that's essentially what he's observing. And uh he was showing the all-cause mortality was all over the place. I, I thought it was gonna be cardiac or stroke, but it was all kinds of stuff. Uh, what were you finding?
1: Um, yeah. So with this the data that I was looking at, uh you couldn't actually look at the cause. There was no cause um, um associated with it specifically. It was just the number of deaths in each state. Um And looking to see whether those are correlated or predicted by the number of vaccines that were administered in those states the previous month.
0: Was there an age cluster associated with it?
1: Yes. So you can um, basically look at the CDC subdivides those total death counts and the non-COVID and COVID deaths by age groups. Uh, So you can actually Mm -hmm. look at those separately. The problem is the vaccines aren't age uh, specific. They only tell you the total number of vaccines below age 65 and the number of vaccines above 65. And then I think 18 is another cutoff. So you can get the number of vaccines between 18 and 65 uh, and then from 12 to 18, but nothing that's more fine grained than that. Um, and those aren't the same age categories that they, that they use for the, um, the mortality data. Um, but there are some limitations in the data, but basically um you know, I can I can show uh, maybe if we go to the second slide, I can um, discuss a little bit about the European data. So my colleague on that paper, Herve Seligman, was doing this type of analysis using European uh, mortality and vaccination data. So for about 23 countries, he was basically taking uh, for each week he was taking the percent increase in vaccinations in that particular country and plotting them against the z-score normalized mortality uh, for that country as a function of lag in weeks so you can see in the top panel here um, what he's doing is just plotting the increase in percent vaccinated for week 13 of 2021 versus the z-score normalized mortality uh, for week 21 in this case Uh, so that's a lag of eight eight weeks Um, so in that case there's a negative correlation across um, those countries. And then on the bottom panel, um, he's doing something similar, but it's for different for week 12 versus week, uh, 14. Um, and that's a lag of two. So there you see a positive correlation. So the more vaccinations, um, the more, uh, more higher mortality, um, and,
0: so, you know, so let me let me, so, you know, uh, uh, when you finish a paper like this, you stand back and you give your analysis of the strengths and weaknesses of the of the observations, right? And and I remember now reading this study when you I, I heard about it. It seems like it's been out a little while, and and I heard about. It and I thought the, I had one question that I wanted to ask, and this is and if you controlled for this in any way, it occurred to me that the way that particular that last slide was. Um, one of the ways you could interpret it, or one of the confounding variables, could be that older people were more likely to get vaccinated and revaccinated. The older you, you know, you might have been selecting for a countries with older populations for whom are at risk and do benefit from the vaccine and are more likely to roll it out. Now they may still might die, and they still might not have great you know, you know we can argue about whether the vaccine how much it benefits them and whether they have excess deaths as a result, but it just one of the confounding variables seemed to me it could be just selecting for older populations
1: yeah well he um, he also looked at age segmented um, mortality so so but yeah, but the vaccine is not age segmented you're, you're correct, so the only way. That you can really disassociate that, which I do in the US data analysis um, is temporally. So we know that the mm-hmm. vaccines were first prioritized in the older age groups earlier in the year, and then it wasn't rolled out to the younger age groups until later. Um, so when I, you know, I can show that graph now or I can um well I'll finish I'll there finish showing the next graph. So if we yeah, if we go to slide three, um yeah, so I'll finish sort of summarizing, yeah, so that mm-hmm. I'll finish summarizing this is a different graph that's not included in the paper that that's on the research gate. This is an aggregate graph. Um, that's basically showing the if you if you group all of those um, correlations as a function of lag. So week one and week three, week two, week four, that those are both lags of two. And then you look at what are the percentage of correlations that are positive versus negative as a function of lag. Uh, you get this type of plot where, um, in the during the week zero, you see uh, mostly positive correlations, which are adverse, uh, which are shown in yellow, and then right around week five, you see uh, negative correlations, which is the blue. Um, and then there's some uh, some debate about what that second uh, yellow hump means. I, I think it might have to do with some confound from the boosters, which were given about six months after the primary series were given. Um, so like you said, there's a lot of confounds with this type of analysis. Um, and there's also COVID waves that could be confounding a lot of this analysis. But what I think is really neat about this as an analysis is that it does, at least the, the first five weeks is consistent with um, what we know about adverse events from vaccines. Usually they happen within six weeks, or that's the accepted risk window. Um, And that's also consistent with what you see in VAERS. There's a big, um, most deaths are reported within 24 hours or the first day, and then they typically fall off. um, And that's not completely explained by propensity to report over time. So in that sense, this is informative. Um, But the U.S. data, so the analysis that I contributed, um, does control for a lot of these confounds. Um, And I'll go back Mm -hmm. to what you brought up before, which is distinguishing um, sort of this age the fact that the vaccines were given to the older age groups. Um, so, if we go to slide four, slide four. So, this this is basically um, similar to what we were doing before, where you're looking at a correlation between vaccines on the x-axis and number of deaths on the y-axis, except you're adjusting for prior year deaths. Um, so, that so it's basically um, a way to adjust for the differences in population size uh, and other statewide uh, factors that might affect mortality differences across states. Um, So in this case, um, so the temporal pattern you see is that you see significant, so this is thresholded by um, essentially correlations that survive p less than 0.05 corrected for the vaccination term. So this is only showing those slopes where it survives a, a Stringent statistical criterion, and um, when you just threshold and show those slopes that show any significant relationship between vaccination and mortality, you see that earlier in the year, February, March, and then uh, into April, um, it's only the older age groups that you, where you see a significant effect, um, and then it's not until you hit May um, where you start seeing uh, effects in the younger age groups so that sort of popped out of the data um and it's not something that um you know that the fact that that pattern sort of emerges uh to me is it was a signal that um you know this is a real signal because it does match the temporal yeah it's yeah because it does it does make sense in terms of the, the vaccine yeah
0: yeah We're going to bring Dr. Victory here in just a second. I I have a, the thing I really shake my head about is why, what happened to our colleagues? What has gone on here that you can't get published? You can't get into the usual discourse of scientific back and forth uh, and critique. What, what, what you have to be silenced because you have something that looks problematic. What is going on?
1: Yeah, that's something that I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, so when I first had these findings, I was like, oh my gosh, this is I got to get this to the Lancet. They have rapid publishing. They have an in-house statistician. They don't even need to send it out to peer review. They could the baby the data is publicly available. They could have their in-house statistician check it, and in a day, they could see whether it's real or not. And this is something they would want to get published before the booster, the first booster comes out, right? Um, and that was, that was not, they didn't, uh, they, so I appealed their decision. They initially rejected it and they said, oh, we already have enough COVID submissions. Uh, we can't prioritize uh. this right now. Uh. I appealed it. And I said, this is not the, your usual COVID submission that you get. Um, and, uh, they essentially said, well, correlation doesn't mean causation. So we don't know that just because these results don't necessarily mean that it's the vaccine that's causing this mortality differences, right? Um, have you had so any that follow-up? Was somewhat. Follow-up data? Uh, I submitted. I, I'm sorry. Did, did you oh, have any follow-up, follow-up uh, data to try to? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in response to that, I did sort of add a whole section about causation, and when you view these data in in conjunction with bears, in conjunction with all these other independent means of confirming this data, and the fact that the actual mortality risks that you compute from these slopes line up with predictions that you would get from bears and predictions that you would get from, uh, bears, uh, deaths and its under reporting factor. But
0: what's fact going is, on here? Or, why, why yeah, do they so have I, to I put you on?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What so I hell? responded. So in a way, and in a way they made, you know, I strengthened the manuscript. I appealed again. I didn't hear back. Um, but I took that manuscript and I, Sent it to many other journals uh, and got similar similar responses. So what is going
0: um, on? What's your theory? You said you're thinking yeah, about yeah, it a yeah, lot. Yeah, give, sure. give me give me a thumbnail at least, because um, I'm trying to figure out what fear. happened to us. I think
1: this, I think there's a fear. I think there's a fear of going against the grain. Um, nobody wants to. Uh, well, part of it may be the the sole profit structure or the financial conflicts of interest between journals and uh, pharma to the extent where they don't want to necessarily publish something that might go against, uh, their sponsors or, uh, so that might be part of it. Another part of it might be, um, at the time it was, it was very, um, a little bit too taboo or too, uh, against what everybody else was saying. So I think there's, um, maybe a fear of publishing something and then, Um, Having to retract it for one reason or another. Uh, So I think I think a lot of it's just peer pressure and feeling um, hesitant to publish something that's going to be so uh, different in its conclusions is, is there anything and also so much, that that's yep.
0: normally what we seek in medicine and in science we normally look yep. for yep. the for the outlying yep. sort of uh papers to okay. see if there's anything there is there is there anybody else publishing anything that's showing anything similar
1: uh so there was one paper in scientific reports um sun et al that looked at ems call data in israel and found that there was a essentially a 25% increase in cardiac call events, um, specifically following the vaccines, but not the COVID um, waves. So that that was encouraging. And I think if you visit the paper now, it still says that due to some critiques, the editor is, is considering uh, criticism of the paper, but they haven't retracted it. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, so that, 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 how about the paper,
0: how about the paper that the Florida surgeon general used to make his decision about uh, vaccine recommendations? Was that a reasonable, I I know there were lots of criticisms of it. I read it and you know, the, the, the biggest thing is people aren't comparing against COVID, which is weird to me. They're not, but okay. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't had a chance to read it. Uh, I was sent it the other day and I'm not on top of, um, the literature these days as much as I should be but I haven't had a chance to read it um but um but yeah I don't know if you have any but yeah it's consistent uh, i mean it's I, good uh, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's,
0: a, it's a signal yeah. it's still a, lots of signals yeah. out there yeah. and exactly what the signal yeah. is and yeah. how it's serious yeah. and compared to covid itself i mean this would I, I can't believe people aren't rushing to answer that question it's a, it's the question of the day and i i do not do not understand i can't imagine what is causing people to delay? And to say peer pressure, I, I don't know, that kind of, it's a little too uh, broad. Can too you tell us what day, yeah.
2: What, yeah. What day <laughs> and what year this was happening to you?
0: This was in the uh,
1: spring of did? 20. Spring of 20?
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Um, summer? Uh, the summer of 20. Oh, I'm sorry, what, what was happening to me?
0: when you were publishing this and when being you turned were getting down, oh getting- uh yeah actually,
1: almost a year ago actually almost a year ago uh 2021 october so i started i sent okay. the uh the, the first version beginning of october and then i put the preprint on ResearchGate around the middle of october so this will be the all right,
0: let, we'll take <laughs> let's take a little break here um I want to bring Dr Kelly Victory in too she's got lots of questions for you We really appreciate you being here and sharing your data with us and again, we're just trying to get an approximation of the truth which is something that seems of little concern to anybody these days I, I which is so nutty to me and I don't know how you get at the truth without looking at all aspects of something and considering every. Uh, piece of whether controversial or contrary or confirmatory data, I I don't understand it. Um, And Kelly will tell you, we were talking just uh, before the mics heated up about someone from the CDC. it was Dr. Paul Offit, who made the observation very similar to what you're worrying about and was told uh, his uh, services are no longer warranted. And that seems to be the mode, which is, Uh, eliminate, silence, marginalize anybody with an alternative position. In the meantime, people may be dying unnecessarily, and that is, I can't even believe those words fall from my lips. Uh, They may not be. Maybe they're not. Maybe we can sort of nail this down, and uh, the risk-reward is worth it. Uh, There seems to be signals suggesting otherwise. We'll take a little break, and then we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory in to talk to Dr. Pentastos. Consumer price index yet again going up, stock market in turmoil. What's our government doing to quell the surge of inflation that is gutting American families? Oh, yeah, they're spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. It's time to do something about this. Visit birchgold.com. Now, I don't give investment advice, but you can visit Birch Gold, B-I-R-C-H, Drew. Birchgold Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Great people with almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let your savings lose value. Visit birchgold.com and claim your free, no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account and Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit BirchGold.com/drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. For a long time, I've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, Genusel, and the amazing results that both Susan and I have seen. I'm a big fan of Genusel's Silky Smooth XV. It's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves GenuCell's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to GenuCell's proprietary skincare technology.
2: I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to GenuCell, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great.
0: And receive an extra ten percent off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout. That again is genucel.com slash Drew G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D R E W. The Parallel Economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the InForce Plus Corollius Versicolor and InForce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it.
2: When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me,
3: You have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now.
0: For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) He came right. (laughs) this price. That is drdrew.com, P-E-T-C-L-U-B 247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
3: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: And welcome, Dr. Kelly Victory, of course, ER doctor, uh, board certified, as well as training in public health from Harvard University. And I just fell upon a tweet that I wanted to read really quick which is, uh, Drew, you need to stop being dumbfounded. It's a bad look for you. And he said, it's not complicated. I'm afraid it is complicated. It may be a bad look for me to appear and be dumbfounded, but I don't think I will ever get over this. I think I will remain dumbfounded that we, what we've what we been through. Even once we fully explained it, I will remain dumbfounded the remaining... My remaining days on Earth. I, I don't think I will ever feel anything other than dumbfounded because this has been so extraordinary from the beginning. I've just been like, "What? What is going on here?" But uh, Kelly, I'll let you take over for a while. I'm, I'm not pulling myself out completely from Dr. I'm Pant- pronouncing your last name correctly, by the way. Pentazatos. Uh, I
1: would. It's. It's. I would say. Uh, pantazatos pantazatos
0: Pentazatos. Pan- Nay. Nee yes okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so
3: <laughs> okay i, I will I'll let uh, Cyril, kelly take over that's, a that's okay <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks very much for joining us i want to spend a few minutes more talking about your particular study and then move on and talk a little bit about what's going on at columbia university uh, i certainly agree with the lancet statement and what all of us know as scientists that you're right correlation does not prove causation but the reality is when you add your study and your analysis of this mortality data to the multitude of other studies that are out there looking at adverse events. Uh, We talked last week about the Pfizer data showing that for every one hospitalization that was prevented, there were 4.3 serious adverse events. With serious adverse events, including death, but uh, death or hospitalization, permanent disability, those sorts of things. And then there are huge numbers of studies really looking at the VAERS data now, the VSAFE safe data, uh, as well as the studies that prove definitively that the vaccines not only really don't stop you from getting COVID, they actually have negative efficacy. At five months, you actually mm. have an increased risk of getting COVID and people who have three shots are at higher risk than people who have two shots. So when you add all the data together, your your study, I think, is very very compelling. Uh, and then if you look, you know, what we've done in past years with past vaccines, the swine flu vaccine in seventy six, they pulled from the market when there were twenty five possible associated deaths. You know, back in nineteen seventy six, correlation also didn't prove causation, but they took it seriously. Uh, so what the heck has happened? over the last, you know, 50 years that all of the sudden, uh, when the correlation is potentially with the death, you know, causation is potentially death, that they aren't taking this seriously. Did you you look at all at other adverse events or did you look specifically and only at death?
1: In this paper, uh, just only at death.
3: Okay, have you spent any time looking at it? Did you, have you spent any time looking at the adverse event data, other, you know, not death All being the, the yeah. most yeah. adverse? Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, I've read, um, uh, I've spent some time on the myocarditis data. Um, that was a focus of this, um, petition letter for university mandates, since that mm-hmm. hits the group that's most uh, affected or one of the groups that's most affected by adverse events, specifically myocarditis in young men. Um, so the, yeah, I've spent, um, a little bit of time looking at various reports, um, and, uh, yeah, that would, I would say that's about the extent of my, um, in terms of looking at those events, uh, in depth.
3: Because I, I thought what, what you were going to say that the Lancet and other journals pushed back on is that you couldn't prove that these weren't COVID related because that's always yes. their fallback, you know? Oh, this was COVID.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just, so just to clarify, so I, I, I submitted it to the Lancet, which has a family of journals. So it, it's, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that the Lancet would necessarily want to publish it, but they had like 20 other journals in their family that they normally kick the paper to, um, when, uh, if they don't want to publish a certain paper, um, sorry, what was your, <laughs> your original question?
3: Well, I just, I, I, I thought that yeah. that was going to be their pushback. And we know from other studies that that's, yeah, course, that's not yeah, the case. But, yeah. you know.
1: so, since, so since then now, so I've adjusted the paper now where I specifically referenced the FDA's, um, you know, before I wasn't saying, okay, look, the FDA has admitted myocarditis as a risk. Subclinical myocarditis could be a cause of a lot of these deaths. Um, I also referenced a previous study in JAMA looking at uh, that used the vaccine safety data link data set, um, which claimed that the vaccines, uh, if you look in one of their supplementary tables, they actually pro- show evidence for a protective events, a protective effect of the vaccines against stroke, uh, myocardial infarction. Um, these are events that's have been specifically related with adverse events of the vaccination. So now all of a sudden their supplementary table is suggesting that the vaccines are protective against these events. So there's like a P, the P values are very low and the the relative risk is uh, saying that there's a protective effect, effect of the vaccines. And so I wrote a comment. This is when I was able to write comments on pup here. I said, look, this is, this is weird. And the authors don't discuss the fact that their supplementary table is suggesting that the vaccines are protective against the very events that were previously associated with the vaccines through dozens and dozens of case reports. Um, so I, I threw out the notion, was it possible that maybe the labels were switched? Did the group labels get switched? And did they somehow, mm-hmm. uh, somehow, through some human error, potentially um, switch the labels? And unfortunately, you can't actually look at the same data that the authors had for their analysis because the vaccine safety data link, um, they don't provide you, uh, they provide you with, you can't actually get the published, uh, data set that they used, um, with the raw, um, the raw data. So, so that's another, uh, sort of reason why I don't trust a lot of these papers that do claim, um, the benefits outweigh the risks, and the vaccines are completely safe because the the data, the underlying data, is not um, accessible.
3: Absolutely correct, and that's one of the things we were referring to. Uh, you know, Dr. Paul Offit being sort of disinvited from the FDA advisory panel on these because the problem when you don't have an advisory panel, when the advisory panel is involved in in authorizing or recommending these vaccines. And that becomes data of public record. They release that data to the public and people are able to see it. When they don't employ the advisory committee and the FDA does it behind closed doors, it's essentially a tacit way of saying, we're not going to be transparent. We're never going to allow you to actually get your hands on The data that we used to make these decisions. Um, With regard to this this common uh, argument on their part, on the the part of those who are promoting the vaccines that these are COVID related, you know, there was a huge study looking at 790 people who had COVID prior to the availability of the vaccines. And that showed that that 790,000 people did not have a higher risk of myocarditis than the average population. So these aren't COVID related. These are clearly vaccine uh, related incidents. Um, Move over now. Talk a little bit about um, your experience at Columbia University, about how it was that you went down the road. I know you were doing this analysis, but then you got very actively involved specifically in arguing against the university's Uh, vaccine mandate. So talk a little bit about how that played out.
1: Sure, sure. So um, after my preprint came out, um, I had some uh, colleagues at Columbia reach out to me and uh, we sort of formed a group. Uh, It started off as a small group. Okay, what are we going to do about these mandates? We're aware that that the risks outweigh the benefits and uh, this mandate doesn't make any sense from a medical standpoint um, and eventually it grew into a petition letter that um, includes about 140 citations to supporting data published as well as preprints um, and other uh, links related to um, legal uh, FOIA requests to make a lot of this data more transparent and publicly available. Um, So that petition letter um, uh, was, I sent it to the president's office to help uh, raise their awareness about what the data really was saying. And uh, I implored them to um, not necessarily trust the public health agencies uh, when they claim, make certain claims such as the, the, the vaccine benefits outweigh the risks for all ages um, and I asked them to uh, rely on global data instead so um, by uh, providing all those references I was hoping that they could um, use that information to inform their policy rather than um, trusting uh, blindly trusting uh, the public I, health I have agency's a yeah,
0: yeah, I I have a question to to your point about blindly trusting the public health agencies. What is so threatening? I I this really here here I am bamboozled again in disbelief. <laughs> what is so threatening uh, about uh, addressing mandates for a vaccine that doesn't prevent infection doesn't prevent uh, uh, transmission and might have a risk reward profile that is inadvantageous. Why is that threatening? I don't. I can't understand it. If if we were talking about a 75 year old, it's an entirely different risk reward diathesis. Why is it threatening to bring it up? for a vaccine that's not doing much. I mean, is, I, it's not. we're not gonna prevent the original intent was prevent the overwhelming of the healthcare system. We're not gonna prevent transmission. We maybe are gonna prevent some severe disease, which doesn't occur in this uh, category. In fact, uh, Caleb, I just tax- texted you a brand new article that uh, Monica Gandhi just put up on Twitter showing that Omicron is generally mild like we thought. A ton of data comparing it against Alpha and Delta. I don't know if you can throw that up there, Caleb. I'm I'm. I'm working on it right now. I'm, I'm fairly, okay. And, and fairly I, will doing that too. To get,
3: I will once again. I will once. This is this is time for Dr. Kelly's weekly reminder, Drew. That there still is not a single research study that shows that the vaccines decrease the severity of the illness. Not a single study. F- fair, fair, that enough, keeps saying fair enough. Fair enough. It hasn't been fair, fair shown enough. by again, anybody. It, it, well,
0: but that but that those kinds of blank spots in the research are also mystifying for me, why they don't just don't do it and see what it shows but but i this is so phantasmagoric to me it's like I'm in the upside down, and thus the thus the weird bamboozled feeling I have all the time. It would seem perfectly natural to have a conversation about the risk rewards and whether we're really doing anything here, and why does that become? not just something that we we're going to attack as wrong, because I'd like to hear why it's wrong, but is so threatening to bring up that everyone, the three of us have to be burned at the stake for bringing it up. I'll let Dr. Pentazitos, tra- there's the article I was just re- re- referencing. Uh, Alpha to Omicron, disease severity and clinical outcomes of a major of the major SARS-CoV-2 variants. It's a good study. It's in Journal of Infectious Diseases. And uh, guess what, everybody! Omicron is a lot less virulent, especially in young people. But go ahead, Doctor Pent Pen- 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 Sure, Pen- 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 I'm saying Pen- it wrong Pen- again.
1: Oh yeah, so just wanted to clarify. I'm looking at the my title on the bottom of the screen. I am currently on leave, uh, but I expect to be back. But I just wanted to be accurate in case anybody, uh, in case any of the administrators are watching. Um, so, um, so I was just wanted to. Um, Uh, Sorry, what was the the question again?
0: Well, the question really was: Well, I'm going to ask. Let me ask a question that just occurred. What do do you teach normally? What what classes do you normally teach? Uh, So I do research.
1: I'm primarily research, and I and I teach informally. Uh, I'm mostly brain imaging, so methodologists analyzing brain scans, fMRI scans, structural scans, and some PET scans.
0: Oh, that's cool. Um, Any of the famous uh, neuroscientists at Columbia? Any of the labs of the famous neuroscientists at uh, Columbia? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm working in the division of uh, Dr. Mann, who, who uh, John Mann, who's uh, mostly focused on suicide. So that's my mm-hmm. my focus mostly is on mood disorder and suicide.
3: Okay. And so one of my was, questions I was going to ask you, go ahead, Drew.
0: Yeah. Well, so the question was, why is this bringing these issues up? that are the yeah, usual so discourse think, of medicine why so yeah. why threatening it's one thing to want to call yeah. it wrong and to argue about why it's wrong but yeah, threatening think, that that's the thing i can't yeah. understand
1: so i think i think because um a lot of people in power had to make difficult decisions uh early on in the pandemic and i think they genuinely thought that mandating uh the vaccine was going to be what brought people back to campus it was going to be what Helped people get through this pandemic. Um, they That's just had. They were wrong. It hadn't. That's
0: okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was wrong about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I was wrong about a lot of right. stuff too. But why is it so, threatening so, to have somebody
1: engage in the normal discourse of science? Right. I mean, I think it's the same type of arrogance that sort of makes some people think that they can make personal medical health choices for everybody, especially people that they haven't met, is also the same type of hubris that makes them not admit that they're wrong. Uh, That is a fascinating fascinating and and, and packed
0: packed statement. There's a lot packed into that, but I I I don't disagree with you. But go ahead, Kelly.
3: Is the vaccine mandate currently in place at Columbia University?
1: It is. um, And I will uh, maybe claim some credit for a small rollback. Uh, So they actually did mandate the first booster for faculty and staff back in December. Uh, but I think enough of the faculty and staff did not take it so that now it's optional for faculty and staff. However, the booster is still the first booster is still mandatory for students. So the students, they didn't announce the student mandate until April, which is well into almost midpoint of of uh 2022 when there's no excuse in my mind at that point. There's so much data out already, especially on myocarditis. And um, so I I don't think that there was... Um, so at that point, I, don't, I would not give them as much credit uh, versus early in the pandemic when there wasn't so much data out. Um, and especially given that if you look at their FAQ, Columbia doesn't even mention myocarditis as a risk. They mentioned the stroke risk with the J&J vaccine but their FAQ, at least in July, they, under safety, they don't mention anything about uh, the vac- the myocarditis risk with the mRNA vaccine. So there's either some miscommunication going on or something. I don't know what's going on um, where, you know, even, even if they took away the mandate, they're still encouraging the vaccine in everybody and they're still uh they still haven't updated their guidance to actually actually reflect what we know about the vaccine risks and benefits. At this point, the data is just so overwhelming, uh, if you're looking for it. If you're not looking for it, then you know right so, um, so we,
3: right, so we know that the, we know that the risk from COVID uh, for people under the, healthy people under the age of 30 is so low as to be almost indistinguishable from zero. We know that the risks of the vaccine are significant, not only for myocarditis, but for other uh, things like Bell's palsy and Guillain-Barre and host of other problems. And then on top of it, we know the data I was reporting, which is that the vaccines have negative efficacy. The boosters actually increase your risk of contracting COVID. So when you add all those together, what is the justification, what is the university responding to you when you are imploring them to use uh international data you are bringing this information uh to their attention what is their argument
1: right so they haven't um responded with an argument i've, I've tried to engage with them in terms of presenting the data so actually since the fall of 2021 i i tried to make myself available look i can I'd like to meet with the decision makers. All I'm asking for is a half hour to present some data vaccine safety research data that I've been looking at, some of my own original research um, and so so I haven't been able to really receive an argument um, so yeah that's <laughs> the that's the um, right. that's the, okay. um yeah um, oh, but okay. uh, yeah, go ahead.
3: to say one of the things i wanted to ask you about because you're a neurobiologist and specifically a neurobiologist who's been doing brain scanning uh and has an interest especially interest in um personality changes depression suicide those sorts of things one of the things that hasn't been reported on much or that many people haven't talked about in terms of adverse events are some of these what Personality changes and psychological changes that have been reported following vaccines. Dr. Uh, Peter Bragan, who is a psychiatrist, uh, has written about it. But do you have you looked into that at all? Do you have any? Are you aware of that? There's even a conversation out there about specifically personality changes, increases in depression and suicidal ideology that may be related to these vaccines.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm actually. uh, collaborating with react 19, which is a nonprofit, uh, it's an organization providing mm-hmm. emotional financial support to people who have suffered vaccine injuries. And based on my discussions with them, um, I have heard of, of suicide. So vaccines causing chronic pain and grief, which re- and mm-hmm. which have resulted in a few, uh, suicides. Um, so I know it happens. Um, and, um, I'm actually going to be collaborating with them to do an online brain imaging study. Um, so, we will be uh, mm-hmm. looking to see if we can see some signals in the brain scans that might help us learn more about uh, what effects uh, the vaccines may be having in people that have persistent neurological symptoms or psychiatric uh, symptoms or um, following the vaccinations. Um, yeah, so I hope if we you, hope to learn you... more about that. <laughs>
3: That would be fascinating. If you look at the VAERS data, the reports of new onset seizures, just that specific diagnosis, new onset seizures following COVID vaccines, are 32 times higher than any other vaccination that's ever been reported. Um, I have my own theories about what that might be, why, uh, and I suspect it may be related to nanoparticle deposits, uh, within the brain causing a, a seizure focus. Um, but that could also explain pers- subtle personality changes um, that we see. Sometimes the first uh, symptom, for example, of a brain tumor is not pain, uh, but it's actually a personality change. And I'm wondering if that might be going on. So I think it would be fascinating if you could uh, do some imaging studies and look to see if there are signal changes in people uh, post-vaccination. Are, you're currently on leave um, from from Columbia. Is that related to your work on these mandates?
1: Um, so I might have, um, so officially uh, it's related to my being not compliant with their vaccine policy. So the first year, um, last year I was 100% remote Because I work computationally and I can log into my computers and do my work uh, remotely, um, I did not apply for an exemption. And uh, their statement, their actual guidelines published uh, specifically said that the policy applied to people who are going to be present on campus. Um, And that was in the initial email that they sent. Um, So they didn't publish anywhere that um, the policy applied. Uh, to people who are 100% fully remote, um, nor did they say that the consequences would be that they would not be able to get their appointment renewed or that they would lose their employment. That was never written anywhere in the policy. Uh, The only consequence they mentioned was that um, you would not be able to gain access to campus uh, because you need a little pass. Um, You need to show that you're compliant. You either get vaccinated or you get an exemption, and then you you have a, a program on your phone that you can then use to access the buildings Um, so uh there is one frequently asked question where they say the policy applies to remote workers but that wasn't emailed to everybody and that wasn't until later on in the year uh where they put that up um so it's I'm like getting an, an affidavit.
0: That. They they didn't reach you. It's like an affidavit. Didn't quite get <laughs> to you. But I, I have a question. Did you, um, given you've been yeah, thinking a yeah. lot about this, have you have you been contemplating the possibility of taking some other booster other than the than the mRNA vaccines? I know obviously no, uh, Novavax is around. Uh, again, our friend Monica Gandhi, infectious right. disease doctor, went to India and took Covaxin as a way of taking getting a whole viral uh, sort of immune response. Uh, what about
1: you? Right. Right, so the problem is those were engineered for variants that are no longer in circulation. So it doesn't make any sense uh, to get a primary series. They're still mandating primary series, and that virus is long gone. And I still don't understand the bivalent. Why would you need to to right. make a, a vaccine against the the, the previous? Uh,
3: you uh, know, maybe, I'm, not a, I'm not a virologist, maybe so like, I
1: don't know
0: yeah maybe it's a concern it will come yeah. back you know there's some resurgence of delta or maybe. something i yeah. I guess yeah. I, I don't know I, I, it sounds I seems know. paranoid to me i agree with you but but yeah. but i'm asking but really COVID. sort of a pragmatic question yeah. to just meet their need by taking something mm-hmm. that you think might have less risk is that something you've contemplated
1: um i so i've i've had COVID before so there shouldn't be any need i mean that's the best form of of immunity mm-hmm. um so i i mm-hmm. guess I, I don't know if you yeah, I, I don't know if you call it too principled or, or whatever, but I, I, I have a maybe I have a little bit of oppositional defiance. Uh, if it's a good, <laughs> if it's a good cause, if it's a good cause, yeah,
0: um, for good, so for good yeah, reason, if it's a good
1: cause. Because yeah. uh, if I if I capitulate to this, then you know, I can I might as well lie over in my back and whatever, whatever else they want to do to um, employ. So I th- I feel like somebody. I'm going to ask up. you
0: again. Um, Yep. I'm going yep. to ask you again. You you seem to have thought a lot about what you're standing up to and what this is. Can you help me understand <laughs> what you're standing up against a little bit better? I, I, yeah. Are there just people that like to exert their will on others? I, I can't quite get my head around that. Is it fear of being wrong and then t- accepting liability for that? What, what do you? What's your theory? What do you think has happened yeah. to us? No,
1: I think I think that's I think that's what you just said was good maybe there's a hesitancy to admit anything um that they may have made a wrong choice because then okay what how do you right those wrongs i mean who's accountable how do you uh also how do you tell all the people that you sort of almost right. coerced into getting vaccinated so that they could keep their job well, that they
0: we just we, but we just had this uh, we just had uh, the uh, sort of astonishing, not even astonishing to me, matter of fact, revelation in the EU, EU parliament that uh, Pfizer had no data on the vaccines affecting transmissibility. And the transmissibility was what was used as the legal rational rationale for passports. And that passports caused marginalization, job loss, discrimination on a mass scale like never before. And uh, nobody says, uh, hmm. I guess we shouldn't have done that or maybe we thought we were doing the best we could or anything just nothing which I find uh, you know and, and and Pfizer's response is they were doing the best they could at the quote speed of science the speed of science Kelly can you tell was me was what the speed of science bad. is yeah. I'm not yeah. sure I understand what well, that is we're all three of scientific well, training just- what was the speed of science where did we learn that
3: yeah. It, as I've said from the very beginning, I really think the issue is they can't. They have dug their heels in so far. The The ramifications, Drew, of them acknowledging, coming out and saying, we were wrong. And all of you who lost your livelihoods, lost your military careers, ended up with profound injuries, died, have myocarditis, whatever it is, we were wrong. It would open up a floodgate the likes of which I don't think you can really get your arms around. They've already undermined the entire confidence uh, that, security that people have in public health uh, that, that they will never regain in my lifetime. They will never regain it. Um, and God help us when we have the next event, because there will be a next event and no one's going to listen to what we have to say at all. But I think the repercussions are just so overwhelming um, with regard to what it would mean, not just financially, but in terms of people, uh, really potentially being held, uh, criminally liable, um, that, that I think, um, I don't see them really ever admitting it. What I want to know, um, is, is you, your experience, you're on a college campus, so a it university campus. And I know you don't teach a class, uh, regularly with, with them, but I assume you interact with young people. What's the experience? what are, where are the students on this? Have they bought did they drink the Kool-Aid?
1: Um, no, oh, actually yes. I, I've oh, had yes. a lot of undergraduate <laughs> 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 I, uh, I actually uh you know I did uh circulate the petition amongst uh undergraduate students. So I have a fair amount of um of uh signatories who are undergraduate students. Um, mm-hmm. and uh want some in the U.S. at Columbia, yeah, um, but you know so what I mean. They, they, they're not foreign. They're not yeah. foreign
0: students because I, 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 I was, you know, when I traveled to Europe 18 months ago, uh, the French youth were standing up to their government for exactly, right. exactly this issue, and, and at home, at the same time, I was reading headlines that the students were man demanding more mask wearing, demanding more, you know, marginalization of the unvaccinated. That was our student population. Yeah. Are they coming right. around?
1: Uh, I hope so, slowly but surely. Um, I think it's just a matter of time. And uh, I try to leave some wiggle room for the administration to, um, you know, I I have faith. I have faith that that, (laughs) that things will write themselves in time. Yeah, they'll adjust course. And, um, you know, I understand that from their perspective, um, they, you know, they, i'm sure they have pressures that they have to face um and i'm sure they're they're trying to uh, uh
0: and and i i do, do feel like i something. have to put the uh, our just our disclaimer up Caleb, put the disclaimer up because we we are not saying anything different than what the cd says But they're safe and effective and a certain age group definitely be taking them and get all boosted up uh safe effective reduce your risk of severe illness although kelly had pointed out that the risk has not been proven yet it's been my experience that that is probably true, and again, I have dealt with a lot of elderly patients. That's my predominant population right now, and I'm boosting them all up, and they've all done very well. And I've used a lot of Paxlovid. the The, the question we are asking, the really what we are addressing today, is not that position, but we are one. We are. <laughs> What we're asking is a basic question about vaccine therapy. Is there a way to risk stratify people for the vaccine so we understand what we're doing? I don't give yellow fever vaccines to everybody uh, at the junior college down here because they aren't going to sub-Saharan Africa. I don't give shingles vaccines to three-year-olds. I don't give Pneumavax to 12-year-olds. There There, is a age stratification and a risk stratification in all vaccine therapies I've ever seen why this one doesn't get to have that, even have the conversation about what the risk stratification uh, stratification might be. It ought to be. be. Thank you.
3: well, (laughs) Well, Andrew, importantly, it changes over time. While I agreed with you early on, Early on, I mean early on, that you could have made the argument that a 75-year-old in a nursing home would benefit from this experimental vaccine because their risk of mm-hmm. a severe outcome was so yeah. great. Fast forward October 2022, that calculus has changed. The variants predictably have become more contagious and less virulent. And we have treatment, As predicted and for, and we've we have a huge number of readily available safe and effective treatments so mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. i will go on the record saying i wouldn't recommend these for anyone in october 2022 and, 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 and i think it's good
0: and I I applaud you for your position. I have a different op- position and this is how doctors normally relate to each other. Normal that's why that's why there's something exactly. called second opinions. Doctors differ in their opinions. Right. I I still feel mm, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it, but I I don't I don't think your opinion is insane. I don't think you need to be silenced. I don't I don't blame you for your opinion. I know why you have that opinion. I just arrive at a slightly different place given my experience. That's all.
3: And in the state of California, I assume you're aware, uh, uh, doctor, that that in the state of California, they passed, uh, you know, AB 2098, which now criminalizes my my position. Uh, I can actually lose my medical license um, and be sanctioned and fined and all sorts of other uh, things burned at the stake, probably um, (laughs) for for daring for daring to have this outrageous medical opinion. It's uh it, luckily New York might not be far behind by the way
0: <laughs> yeah, I know it's true but he's not he, he doesn't have that the license problem that we have
3: <laughs> right 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 yeah it's for medical doctors although soon you know uh, they will it, it is it reminds me a bit of uh, Maoist China you know where they they first uh, rounded up all the scientists and and uh, people who were opposing the the government uh, they were the first to go so. Um, I think scientists... Kelly's gone all the way post- there,
0: ladies and gentlemen. I think uh, my wife is, has a similar kind of feeling about it. Susan, are you okay? Is that, does, that, does that inflame you in some way? I <laughs> mean,
2: I've been watching this from the beginning, a non-doctor, and I've seen like exactly in 2021, uh, we were listening to other people talk about how they were getting censored and not getting their information out there and predicting what is here now today. And I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, Dr. Zev Zelenko in, in may he rest in peace, but he's smiling down on us today because he was right. And, um, but it, it's just so sad that even in a college setting that they were getting shut down, you know, it's not, it's not right. I mean, in, and I'm glad that you guys are all able to agree somewhat here. So that's <laughs> well, all.
0: We're, we're, well, at least we can have the conversation. That's the important thing. And that's really what well, it's I always applaud, been about.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know that, you know, my, you saw in my little, my little open that I am all about the risk-benefit calculation. I preach it night and day. And so I applaud you taking this on on behalf of an age group that is largely young and healthy. Uh, and the idea of mandating these things for that particular age group, that it just, it fails the risk benefit calculation. So I give you a yeah. lot of credit. I'm sure you've taken unmitigated uh, flack for, for doing this. And, and I'm suspecting you've had some a personal and professional uh, risk in, in doing so, but what you're doing is important. Um, and, and I, I give you a lot of credit I for agree. it. So thank you.
0: And hopefully so they you. come around thank like you say. hopefully they do.
2: And thanks for opening up here with us because we're, we're trying to shine a light on it. So
0: yeah. it's mm-hmm. a,
2: it's not easy because you are afraid of, of losing your job or having pushback. So,
0: well, and, and I get, you know, none of us are trying to take extreme positions, even though, Kelly went all, right. all the way to the Cultural Revolution. <laughs>
2: yes,
1: but, God but, bless her.
3: But, but,
0: uh, <laughs> that's my jam. I'm just really pointing out, out that to. I went
3: to a liberal, liberal arts education, Drew, just trying to be.
0: <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. By the way, had you said that three years ago, I'd go, come on. Now, as I'm trying to make sense of all this craziness, like, man, that's, that's an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. How far we have come. Yeah, uh, Dr. I'm just gonna say pentazatos again. I can't penta penta <laughs> Pentazatos. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Thank
1: you. Uh, uh,
0: or Spiro, uh Dr. Spiro. Spiro. Dr. Spiro, is there is there anything else we should be addressing Spiro. here? Have we have we left, have we gotten through most of the the, the material here? Uh,
1: I think so. Um I oh I could I could discuss a little bit about um where those claims, the former president is claiming that the vaccines have saved uh, millions of lives. Um, So I could, I could talk a little bit about uh, how those, so those, those claims come from modeling studies um, where they basically uh, try to estimate a generative model where they, they basically assume a lot of parameters and they fit certain curves to the actual Covid deaths or excess deaths Mm -hmm. in each country, and then they simulate what would happen if the vaccines were taken away, Um, and then they basically get this computer-generated curve that they then subtract from the uh, the actual death curves, Um, and then they say, "Oh, look, all of these deaths would have happened if the vaccines weren't around." The problem is those numbers never get validated, and uh, there's a lot of flawed assumptions that those models use for example how long the vaccine immunity lasts and how effective the, the vaccines are those are all parameters that are can have, that affect the the um the calculation so um so i so i have some on my research gate i have some commentaries where i go in depth in uh, one of the more famous modeling studies that came out in the lancet infectious diseases where they claimed the vaccine saved uh, 14 to 20 million Lives. Um, So that's one of my things that I'll plug. So if people want more information, if they want to learn more about um, why those modeling studies are dubious, um, they can visit my research gate and get a breakdown of um, how those modeling, where those modeling studies uh, misspecify certain parameters and how that misspecification gives you inflated numbers of uh, vaccines, of lives that were averted by the vaccines. because it's very difficult to argue if you say, oh, the vaccines uh, have this and uh, this much mortality risk, someone will say, oh, but vaccines have saved this many million lives worldwide. This is published in all the high-impact journals. Um, you know, people hear that number and, and they say, oh, well, vaccines, you know, everybody should get vaccinated uh, because of that. So it's important, I think, to increase understanding about where those numbers come from. And, uh, so that people can understand
0: what, what again, were the assumptions that were wrong.
1: Um, so there's, so that one with this one study, um, it assumed, for example, that the vaccine lasted for a full year. That was one of the default parameters that the vaccine induced immunity, mm. uh, lasted for a that's full wrong. year. Um, that's wrong. Um, and then, uh, staying, uh, and actually some of the, so there's another, so yeah that's one example um the other wrong assumption is that the lethality of the virus other than other than adjusting for delta relative to wild type and alpha the models don't adjust don't uh, assume that the virus changes lethality or infectivity right. only the transmissibility so they assume right. that the transmissibility the time varying transmissibility is what accounts for the excess deaths they don't include mm. other Contributors of excess deaths, like deaths of despair, so the lockdowns that may have increased drug overdoses or suicides, um, or uh, deaths from the vaccine. So they don't uh, uh, include parameters that account for those excess deaths. They assume all the excess deaths are coming from COVID. And when you assume, right. make that assumption, you right. force your model to, to, in order to fit the excess death curve, you force your model. To fit free parameters that you don't validate, you fit the excess curves, the output, you actually get a good fit. But um, um sorry, yeah, I don't have slides for this. I should have I should have included some. Um okay. uh, sorry.
0: we sorry. can sorry. talk sorry. again sometime.
1: Um yeah, yeah. so, so, so the, I, uh, I
0: didn't mean to
2: distract I put a note up on his screen. I didn't mean to distract you, sorry, to let him know I can show you. Um so I don't
1: know if I'm trying to verbally explain it, but basically um you have so many free parameters you can make any model fit any kind of data that you want um the problem is how do you validate those numbers and with, in this case you can't because they're they're predicting a scenario that never happened which is a case where vaccines right. weren't mass administered. and they're saying oh right. this computer simulation says this many deaths would have happened if the vaccines were, weren't around um but it's 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 because of a misspecification in the model um, that's basically leading to that those estimates, um, and then uh, yeah, there's, so there's another uh, Lancet infectious diseases article that looked at VARES, and they had a statement: uh, the vaccine benefits outweigh the risks, and they they cite three papers, three modeling studies. Um, so if you'll notice that the risk benefit studies always compare COVID hospitalizations averted versus one specific mm-hmm. adverse event from the vaccine. So they say, well, if we give this many vaccine doses, we'll avert this many hospitalizations. If we give this many vaccine doses, we'll have this many events, certain uh, myocarditis, for instance, or uh, stroke events. Um, the problem there, there's, several, there's so many problems, but the problem is you're kind of comparing apples and oranges. Hospitalizations averted um, versus an adverse event. would be more straightforward if you just compared the actual adverse events between infection, natural infection versus the vaccine, that would make for a more straightforward risk-benefit analysis. When you're looking at uh, hospitalizations averted, um, there, there's a problem. Those modeling studies make other, you know, if you look in those papers, uh, one of the assumptions that they make is that only the unvaccinated transmit the virus. So this was early on, before they knew right. that. Vaccinated could also transmit the virus. So you actually read those studies and you see all these assumptions. You're like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this should not go into well, the Well, that's, massive, that's, right yeah, I mean, that's, that's a massive,
0: massively wrong assumption right there. And that's, that's the whole bit that should, I can't
1: believe yeah. Yeah, mean, they we,
0: published that.
1: Yeah. No, so the there are tremendous disease. numbers
3: of. Con- confounding variables that they didn't include, including the fact the number of people who had natural, you know, when they're determining how effective the vaccines were at preventing death, they didn't take into account natural immunity or the fact that many people were treated with medications, the I word and the H word specifically, when they had COVID and that that's actually what prevented the death, not the subsequent vaccination and on and on. So the, you know, dubious, is the is the kindest word, uh, Dr. Spiro, that you could use about their their data du- dubious at best.
0: Well, just the just yeah, the sorry, not I, I, understanding think, I, the vaccines didn't prevent transmission. Just that one fact should have right. disqualified the study completely. was a fundamental assumption yeah. of the study: <laughs> well, those, is the vaccines prevent yeah. transmission?
1: Yeah, I mean those those studies were rapidly published through the CDC's only, I think the MMWR last year. Mm. This Lancet study that was that came out earlier in the summer of this year referenced those studies which were outdated, saying, oh, the vaccine benefits outweigh the risk. Well they they referenced these these modeling studies that were flawed. Um and and uh they also downplayed sort of the VAERS data in certain ways. Uh so that's mm-hmm. I, I put a lot of that into the, the petition letter as well uh to try to help people see how um you know these these Journals can also be a source of misinformation, if I'm allowed to say that. I don't yeah. know.
0: That's, <laughs> yeah. and, and, yet, uh, yeah. and yet, they established the standard of care against which AB 2098 prevents yeah, me yeah. from speaking. I'm going to speak cool. to the board soon. Yeah. So I, I can't wait cool. to bring up stuff like this. So we better wrap this thing up. Uh, as Drew's always,
2: keeping notes.
0: Yeah. Dr. Notes. Uh, Pentezatos. Dr. Spiro, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> so sharing your, your research with us and for uh, risking My your your hide with us just by discussing things that we would normally in the normal course of scientific discourse just have conversations about that we've been forbidden to have for quite some time now and thank goodness we can can speak up i think and i hope it causes no ill for anybody kelly as always thank you I'll i'll give kelly last thoughts
3: you know, just I, again i would just say i appreciate what you're doing uh we we need people out there doing exactly the sort of thing you're doing which is having the guts to bring the data say here's what i'm seeing here's the data as i analyze it you're a career scientist um you, you're not somebody who just is pushing back against mandates you're pushing back based on what the data are showing us, and they are irrefutable. And for all we had to hear over these last two plus years about follow the science, follow the science, here you are following the science, bringing it to the attention of people who should care. uh, And I hope that you don't give up and and are successful because uh, you will go down, I promise you, on the right side of history.
0: I think she's right. I think you're right uh and uh it's never Thank been you so fun. much it's been a never,
1: stand,
0: stand up to this kind of thing but uh i i'm seeing lots of requests for more here on the restream and i, I know several of you have your hand up over on the twitter spaces i tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to go over to locals susan what caleb is it locals.com slash dr drew uh,
1: yes yeah. that's correct yeah
0: local locals.com slash dr drew and i will put up a uh video and chat there just go to my page uh, locals.com slash dr. drew and you can uh, put up an active chat where you can ask me questions and I'll answer them in real time on video there in about 10 minutes I'll head over there
2: yeah we're so. gonna we're gonna try something new and then the locals if you want to join locals go on to locals.com slash dr. drew and support the show and then We'll try to get to your questions. Well, I
0: will get to them today. Today I will, because uh, we're going to we'll try to do more of these special locals little events here.
2: And we'll be uh, taking more questions tomorrow as well. So.
0: Yes, so I'll be in here taking questions on tomorrow. Twitter Spaces. And uh, next week, uh, Dr. Kelly and I bring in Vinay Prasad, who has been uh, on fire on Twitter recently. And, uh, and I, I never, I he everything he says and thinks about is spot on as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I'm interested to see if Kelly agrees with that. And he, uh,
1: no, he I has been.
0: Know. Uh, let's see, he's been on fire lately about masking young people and vaccinating, you know, very young people. He's just been. It's just, he's been incensed about the way the FDA is functioning.
3: Uh, well, I, he has my approval on that. I agree 100%. You know I've been screaming from the rooftops about the insanity of the masks and social distancing and uh, all of yep. this, the, the completely unnecessary fact that we, we never needed to close schools and on and on. So yep. he and I are in lockstep on that. And, and I think he, um, he will bring some additional data to the table and really looking forward to that conversation
0: yeah that'll be good it it, just two quick things again i when i when the school closure thing jumped out at me as such such a vividly inappropriate policy was when i was watching the ukrainian women with their children escaping into poland and they'd throw a microphone in everybody's face and the women would go yeah it's terrible the men are staying behind fighting what this guy's doing is terrible the kids have been out of school for two weeks. Two weeks. We've got to get them back in school. It's been two weeks. Right, and that yeah. jumped out of me. I'm like, yes, uh, Tweaks is a long time when you're in high school or something, for God's sakes. And uh, they put them in Polish-speaking right. schools. You know, and they had to learn a new language and get to school because they needed to be educated. Such a important thing. And, of course, developmentally oh, it- as well
3: well it it will be decades before we truly understand the profound impact of that um you know atrocity truly there are kids who who will never catch up. There are many kids interestingly um that I talked to personally who ended up not going back to school uh there are kids who were juniors and seniors in high school in particular. they were out for a long period of time. they just said after two after a year and a half, they said, "I'm not going back I've gotten a job now, I've gotten a job." So these are kids who would have graduated from high school who didn't and never will Mm -hmm. because they just Mm -hmm. gave up and said the heck with it. Um, The profound mental health issues, psychosocial issues, the fact that, I mean, they lost, you you know, these kids, there was no such thing as, quote, virtual learning. Uh, These kids, you know, missed as fundamentally two full years of their educations and you don't just catch that up overnight. Terrible. It's going to take a long, Absolutely long time. terrible. A
0: reminder that Kelly it was a psychologist before she became a physician. And then my number yep. two point was, Kelly was the first person I heard declare, as you said, long ago, that this social distancing thing was invented Bullshit. out of whole cloth. <laughs> and now we have actually, yep. you and I have interviewed, if you guys want to, anyone wants to go back and listen to Paul Alexander, he was in the room when this six foot thing was invented out of whole cloth. And he, they were trying to decide between 60 feet and six feet. And they had no no right. reason to choose either, and I've since talked to another yep. person who was in the White <laughs> H- in the administration at that time, and it confirms what Dr. Alexander had told us. So,
2: anyways, we're going to send everybody over to locals.com/slash Dr. Drew yep. if you have any questions or you want to uh, have a private one-on-one. Uh, Ooh,
0: private one-on-one. Yeah, hmm. with
2: Drew. Is <laughs> <Kelsey> <laughs> Kelly, you want to join us? I d- I, we don't have that. I wish. I don't yet. know if we do. No, we don't. Caleb, well, do we? I, Yeah, I, I would love to do Kelly's it, but I,
3: I cannot. I got my I, well, we'll, we'll do it on we'll another day. with with Yeah, I would love horses. to do it another day. Once, But you have to be a supporter IM in order to get in on the
0: chat. So. Yeah, it's horses. <laughs> I knew it. I could see it in your eyes. I, I know the you have to go and the horses back. But, anyways, they,
2: they start kicking so. the barn door there. But. <laughs> we want to thank him again too he he was just wonderful
0: excellent job see you next Wednesday and also tomorrow for questions if you wish just question show and then as I said in about 10 minutes I'll be over at locals.com slash Dr. Drew Kelly thank you and thank you all we'll see you tomorrow and don't miss next next Wednesday with Vinay Prasad see you
3: thanks guys
0: we're back still here we are see you guys